to His Conference 2018. It's so great to see all of your beautiful faces out there this morning. You know, our team has been praying over you by name for the last several weeks. And one of the things that we've been declaring is that October 27th, 2018 would be a landmark day in your life, that this would always be a day that you look back on, that it would be significant to you, that this was the day that the Holy Spirit showed up and things began to shift in your life, that dead things came back to life, that hearts were mended, that friendships were birthed, that dreams were imparted. Do you believe it? Are you ready? Are you expecting... Are you expecting big things this morning? I hope that you are because he wants to go above and beyond all you can ask or think, all you can expect. So make sure that you are expectant this morning. Well, for those of you who don't know me, let me introduce myself. My name is Sarah Blunt, and <laughs> y'all are too sweet. Um, and I am the founder of His, which is the women's ministry at New Song Church. And this is my family. Uh, for those of you who may not have met my lovely family, that's my husband, Josh. He's right up here this morning. And uh, I like to say that he's the man of my dreams because he literally is the man of my dreams. When I was in eighth grade, I had a dream that I was going to marry Josh Blunt. And this is before he knew who I was. He didn't even know I existed. He was five years older than me, and everybody was like, you're crazy. He doesn't even, but it was like a spiritual moment, and I was like Joseph telling everybody about the dream before it was time. But 15 years later, we're married, or we've been married 15 years. Uh, and then these are our amazing kids. This is Gus. He's 10. He's in the fourth grade at Deer Creek. He just is about to wrap up his first season of tackle football, and I have survived the first season of tackle football, and we wear the same size shoe now, which is crazy. The same size shoe and the same size sweatshirt, which is pretty fun. And then Bo, that's our little Bo right there, the middle one in the little denim shirt. She's seven, and she's in second grade at Deer Creek, and she is fun. If you ever get to hang out with Bo one-on-one with her, you'll fall in love with her forever. She's like the most fun person to be around, and uh, her favorite thing is her hot glue gun. If she has her hot glue gun and I keep her stocked in hot glue gun sticks, then she's happy as she can be. And then the little baby up there, that's Sunny, Miss Sunny June. She is four, and she's the final installment of the Blunt children, and her name fits her perfectly. People ask me sometimes, do you think that she's as sunny as she is because you named her Sunny? Like, does that have something to do with it? I think it does. We've been calling her Sunny since before she was born, and People meet her all the time, and they're like, I couldn't think of a more perfect name for this child. So she's amazing. My family, uh, I love them. They're everything to me. And then our church, New Song Church. Uh, yes, New Song is kind of like my other baby. And uh, Josh and I felt called to this city. And four years ago, this month, we moved here. We moved here from Dallas. We grew up in Tulsa. We knew that God was calling us to pastor a church, and we began to to seek him on it. We knew he was saying, I want you to do it back in your home state, but where in our home state? So we began to pray and seek God, and we really felt like he was leading us to Oklahoma City, where we knew no one, uh, didn't know anything about the city. But let me just tell you, four years later, God is faithful, and we love this city, and we know that this is right where we're supposed to be. The church just celebrated three years in September. And I love our church. One of my favorite things is their heart for women. Uh, our church is all about empowering women. And uh, 
this conference is brought to you today by New Song Church, by our volunteers, by our congregation of givers, because we have a pastor that loves and supports women and is all about having a day where they get to come and just get refreshed and renewed and filled with the Spirit, and it's going to be an exciting day. So thank you, thank you, thank you, New Song Church. If you are here local and you're looking for a church family, I want to invite you to come join us tomorrow. We have three service times to choose from. There's a little card in that pink bag that you got when you walked in, and it lets you know more info. So come check us out. We would absolutely love to have you. All right, this morning, I am here to remind you that the words to that song that we opened with this morning are absolutely true, that God is writing a beautiful story for you. How about those three ladies who shared their story this morning? How many know that takes a lot of courage, a lot of guts to get up here and share your story, the good, the bad, the ugly. But I believe that as those ladies shared their story this morning, that they stepped into an even greater level of freedom and an even greater level of healing. Revelations 12, 11 says that we overcome by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. As they shared, they not only ministered to us as we could grab on and relate to parts of their story, but they also were ministered to by the Lord. And I just want to encourage you this morning to share your story. If you're taking notes this morning, this isn't really my message yet, but I want you to write this down. My story is a powerful thing. Your story is a powerful thing. Your story could be the key that unlocks someone else's prison. So hear me this morning. Don't swallow the key. Don't swallow your story. Share your story. Share the good. Share the bad. Share the ugly because it gives God glory. It draws people closer to him. Don't swallow the key. In fact, we have shirts here today that you can buy that say a beautiful story. Lots of the girls are wearing them today. I think this is a great tool. As you're walking, you're out and about, you're at the mall, maybe you're at your kid's school or something, and you're wearing this, this shirt. It says a beautiful story, and somebody says, what's that shirt about? It gives you a perfect opportunity to share what God has done and is doing in your life. And then in your uh, pink note or your pink bags that you got when you walked in, we got you a little gift. There's a notebook in there that says, my beautiful story. And we want you to take that home after this conference and be inspired to go and write your story. Write it out. Think it through. I believe that when you put pen to paper and you think it out and you write it out, then when you're going to be presented with opportunities to share it. When you're ready to share your story, opportunities come. So get ready. Get your notebooks. Take those home and fill the pages. Amen? Amen. All right. Turn with me to Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, 2. Now, a few months ago, I started thinking about the message. I knew the theme for this conference like a year ago. But a few months ago, I started thinking, what kind of message am I going to bring? Lord, what do, you want me to, what do you want me to share? And I have this story in the Bible that I keep coming back to. I love it. I've been trying to work it into a message for years, right, Josh? And uh, <laughs> so I found I'm going to work that story into this message. It's going to be really cool. I was really excited about it. And then a couple weeks ago, I was meeting with some of our production team about the conference, and I heard myself say those words. I just came up with my message, and it's going to be really cool. And when I said that, I I heard the Holy Spirit said, that's not what they need. And I was like, no, hold on. Like, it's not just going to be cool, God. It's going to be relevant. It's going to help people. It's going to have your word in it. And he was just like, still, that's not what they need. They don't need a cool message. And I was like, okay, What do they need? What do your daughters need? And I prayed and I really felt like the Lord said, my daughters are discouraged. 
and I want to help that. I want to fix that. And I said, okay, let's do it. Let's talk about discouragement. I think every person in this room is dealing with discouragement on some level or another. And if we're not sure how to identify that, then it will keep us under its thumb. So this morning, would you bow your heads and let's pray. Lord, I pray for every woman within the sound of my voice. Lord, you see them, you know what they're dealing with. You're familiar with their frustrations, with their disappointments, with their twists and turns and their story that have left them feeling discouraged. I ask you to use me this morning, God. Use me to speak unforgettable truths from your word into their lives, truths that set them free, Lord, truths truths that fill them with hope, truths that encourage them, allow them to leave here with their heads lifted high, their eyes fixed on you, that every woman here would leave convinced that you are writing a beautiful story for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Hebrews 12, 2. Look at this with me. It's on the screen. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. God is writing a beautiful story for you. Your story is not an autobiography. I love how Paul Tripp says it. He says, your story is a biography of wisdom and grace written by another. Every turn he writes into your story is right. Every twist of the plot is for the best. Every new character or unexpected event is a tool of his grace. Each new chapter advances his purpose. Now, That sounds great on paper, right? That's really pretty. That's a really wonderful quote. But we all know that when we're in a season of difficulty, it's hard to believe that this is true. We forget this when we're in a season of difficulty. In fact, I believe there's people in here this morning that are so tired of the chapter of their story that they're in. They cannot wait for this chapter to be over. Some of you are lost in the story. You've lost your place, and you don't know how to get back on the right page. Some of you have decided that you don't like the author's writing style. So you've taken the pen out of his hand, and you've got it in your own, and you're going to write your own story. Some of you are bored with your story, and you don't even want to finish the book. If that's you this morning, if you're frustrated with the season that you're in, with the chapter that you're in, you're dealing with discouragement. Write this down, this definition of discouragement. Discouragement is dissatisfaction with the past. It's distaste for the present and distrust of the future. Are you dissatisfied with the past? Maybe you're in here this morning and you wish you could get in a time machine and go back and redo some of those choices that you made. You wish you could get a do-over. You wish you could change some things about your past. Maybe you're in here this morning and you're dissatisfied with the type of home that you were raised in. If only I would have been raised in a home where my parents loved me or my parents took me to to church. There's some dissatisfaction in your past. Or do you have a distaste about your current circumstances? Maybe you are coming up on year five, of your five-year plan, and it is nothing like you thought it would look. You're nowhere near where you thought you would be when you sat down to write out that plan five years ago. Or maybe you've got a distaste in your mouth about your current relationship status or your lack thereof. Maybe you've got a distaste in your mouth about your job, the current job that you have. You're just frustrated with it. You're not going anywhere. You've hit the ceiling. You're not fulfilled. 
something about your current situation has, has a distaste? Do you have a distrust of the future? Maybe you're in one of those seasons where things are so hard, like Bethany talked about in her story, she couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel. Maybe you're there. You're having a hard time trusting God's word. You're like, it's just too hard to keep holding on to this promise. I feel like he failed me. It's just too hard. I have a distrust of the future. That's discouragement. I think it's safe to say that every person in this room is dealing with discouragement or will deal with discouragement. So we're going to talk about the roots of discouragement, and we're going to look at the life of David to do that. David, out of all the lives in Scripture, he's one of the most exhaustively examined. From the time of his early childhood to his death, we see what David was going through. We even get a, a, a glimpse into his state of mind in the Psalms. We know what he was thinking. David's life is like a diary, an open diary for our review. Now, the thing about David is we know a lot about his high moments. Everybody knows David and Goliath, but we're going to look at a chapter in his story that's not a very popular chapter. It's not a chapter that has a coloring sheet to go along with it. It's a chapter that a lot of people just kind of skip over. In fact, I was reading, telling my son about this the other day, and he was like, man, I had no idea that that happened to David. But I think it's important that we look at it because David was dealing with discouragement. And we're going to see how he came back from that. So I know, like I said, his life is exhaustively examined. And I want to make sure that you guys are in the right place in the timeline of David's life. So to catch you up to speed and to let you know everything that's happened before we get to this point, we're going to have to creep on David's Instagram page. Now, I know that if you've been at New Song for a while, you know David's got an Instagram page. Uh, we're going to look at these pictures, and we're going to catch everybody up to speed, all right? Look at this. David, son of Jesse, if you want to follow along. He says, dude, today was nuts. One minute, I'm hanging out with this guy, and the next minute, Samuel is pouring oil on me and anointing me as king. Not exactly sure how that works since Saul is king, but I'm pretty pumped about it. I know God's in this, and I feel his spirit strong on me. Hashtag sheep of Instagram. Hashtag I just can't wait to be king. All right, next. I got my first official gig playing for King Saul today. My hashtag harp skills help calm him down, and he seems to really like me. The palace is a nice change of scenery, too. Hashtag workflow, photo cred, Abigail. So David is going back and forth at this point from the fields, and now he's actually in the palace. He's playing music for Saul to calm him down. Saul was kind of losing it. Okay, we all know this is the most famous part of David's story. You come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's army. Hashtag Goliath is dead. Hashtag blessed. He took down the giant Philistine, all right? Then what happens? <laughs> he says, Everyone, please stop singing the David killed 10,000 song. Saul hates it, and I'm pretty sure he tried to kill me today. Good news is I got a promotion. I'm the new commander of a 1,000-man army, hashtag jelly. So, so he takes down this Philistine, and his fame begins to increase throughout the land. There's a top 40 song uh, about him being 
taking down the 10,000. And every time Saul hears that song, it drives him crazy. So crazy, in fact, he tried to kill David. Then what happens? I'm a married man. Little camel cake toppers, those are so cute. Mikkel was the most beautiful bride. Honeymoon is on hold until after I finish fleeing from my life from the new father-in-law, a.k.a. King Saul. But at least I'm fleeing with my bride by my side. Hashtag till death do us part. Hashtag royal wedding. So imagine this. You think you have some issues with your in-laws. Saul is now David's father-in-law, and Saul is now obsessed with killing King da- or killing David. Look at this in 1 Samuel 18 through 29. When Saul realized that the Lord was with David and how much his daughter loved him, Saul became even more afraid of him. And he remained David's enemy for the rest of his life. So he already hated that the community uh, had been won over by David. But now his own family has the heart of David. He saw how much his daughter loved him, and that pushed him over the edge. He became his enemy for the rest of his life. So David and Mikkel run off on their honeymoon. And they don't stop running. For four years, for four years, they are on the run. They're fleeing from Saul, who's trying to kill David. 1 Samuel 23, 14 says, David stayed in the wilderness strongholds and in the hills of the desert of Ziph day after day. Saul searched for him, but God did not give David into his hands. So imagine this, day after day, For something like 1,460 days, day after day, town after town, cave after cave, forest after forest, you're hiding, you're settling, you're living like a nomad, you're looking over your shoulder because somebody's main goal in life is to take you down. He did this for four years. Saul was obsessed with killing David. And as he was running, David was fleeing. David was a leader, a natural leader. So men began to join up with him. And at one point, he had 600 men running and fleeing with him. Now, David had opportunity to take Saul out. When I shared this with my son, Gus, he was like, why didn't David just kill Saul? Duh, like he killed Goliath. He could easily just kill Saul. Well, he didn't because Saul was still in a a position as anointed king by God. He was God's chosen king, and David did not want to dishonor that. So he had opportunities to kill him, but he didn't. And one of those opportunities, he came so close He got a piece of Saul's robe, he cut it off, and he showed it to him and said, look, I could have killed you, but I didn't. Hoping to win Saul's heart over, it didn't work. But here's what David told Saul in that encounter. 1 Samuel 24, 15, he says, God is my advocate, and he will rescue me from your power. He looks right at the face of his enemy and said, hey, listen, God's my advocate. He's going to rescue me. He's in control. He's going to write the end of the story. It's going to be a happy ending. He's going to rescue me just so you know, okay? And then three chapters later, all the running, all the fleeing, all the hiding, the sleepless nights, it caught up to David. Look how his declaration changed. 1 Samuel 27, 1 through 2. But David said in his heart, Now I will die one day by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me than to escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will give up searching for me inside the borders of Israel, and I will escape from his hand. How does one go from saying, 
God is my rescuer. He's going to rescue me from your hand to saying, I'm going to die by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me than to go live among the Philistines. How does one come to that place where their song changes so drastically? Discouragement. Discouragement set in. David was dissatisfied with the past. The past four years of his life were not satisfying to him. And then he was really not enjoying his current circumstances. And then he had moved over into a distrust of the future. Somewhere along the line, he, he stopped trusting that he would be crowned king, that God would rescue him. He is completely and utterly discouraged. So what happens next? Well, David does exactly what he had been discussing with himself in his heart, as we so often do. What we're talking to ourselves about, we end up doing. He did what he was discussing with himself in his heart. He convinced himself that there was nothing better than to live among the Philistines. Now think about that. The Philistines, that's where Goliath was from. They were ungodly, God-cursing people. And he's saying, there's nothing better for me than to go live with them. He did exactly what he said he was going to do. First Samuel 27, he took 600 men, went over, and joined Achish, son of Maok, the king of Gath. Now look at this. David and his men and their families settled there with Achish at Gath. David brought his wives, and word soon reached Saul that David had fled to Gath, so he stopped hunting for him. So he was tired of this nomadic lifestyle. I don't blame the guy. He wanted to settle, and he did settle, but he settled for less than God's best. What is discouragement causing you to settle on this morning? Where have you settled because you're discouraged? Maybe you're thinking, well, it's not so bad that David went to go live among the Philistines. He was there for a year and four months. And when I first read the story, I was like, well, come on, give the guy a break. He's been running for four years. Let him have a year sabbatical. He needs to get away. He needs to go back to the Valley of Elah and kind of reminisce about the time he shocked the whole world with that slingshot. Let him do some soul searching, right? Maybe write a couple psalms. Just let him rest, lay low. But that's not what David was doing while he was there. And it wasn't just a little vacation for him. It was him saying, I give up on God's plan for me. There are no record of Psalms written during this period. While he was there, David actually submitted to Philistine leadership. He lied about killing entire villages of Philistine men, women, and children. And some people think, well, this is good. He was kind of like Jason Bourne, and he was infiltrating, and he was, he was doing things from the inside. But that's not the case. He was taking down Philistine villages, but God never told him to kill those people. He was no longer fighting for God's victory, but for his personal gain. He got to a really dark place. In fact, at one point, David and these 600 men that are following him, they are lined up with the Philistines about to go to battle against God's people. How far discouragement can take us from our beautiful story. Now, I want to look at this a little bit more and talk about the four roots that I see in this story and I see as recurring themes. I talked to several girls as I was getting ready for this message. Tell me about when you feel discouraged. And as I went through those answers and looked at David's stories, I've boiled it down to four roots, four roots that lead to discouragement. And I want to expose those roots today so that we can dig them up and hopefully replace them 
with life-giving truths. How does that sound? Does that sound good? You ready? Okay, the first root, if you're taking notes, write this down. The first root of discouragement is exhausted resources. Exhausted resources. Now, when I think of resources, I think of money. That's kind of where my mind goes first. But time is a resource. Your strength is a resource. Your health is a resource. The people in your life, they are a resource. Your talents, your gift, that's a resource in your life. Think about it like this, time. When you've exhausted the resource of time, think about how discouraged you become. You have stuff that you want to do or that you need to do or you feel called to do, but you've exhausted all your time so you can't do it, you're left feeling discouraged. Or think about your strength, your energy. Maybe you have this vision in your heart about the kind of mom that you want to be. I want to be the kind of mom that uh, is able to balance work and family, and I'm going to be at every game, and I'm going to tuck the kids in at night, and I'm going to read them bedtime stories, and I'm not going to be the mom at the park on her phone. I'm going to be the mom at the park going down the slides. But you exhaust your energy. You use it all up, and then you can't do what you want to do, and you're left feeling discouraged. Maybe the people in your life, you've exhausted them. You go from this relationship to that relationship, from this guy to that guy, looking for the love and the affirmation that you're seeking. You exhaust those resources. They can't meet your need for love like you need it to be met, and you're left feeling discouraged. Or maybe you've exhausted all your options. I was at a place earlier this year where I felt like I had exhausted all of my options. I've wanted to write a book since I was in third grade. My parents sent me to young authors conferences, and about seven years ago, I got serious about it. The Lord really began to to show me a book, and I'd send out uh, manuscripts and things like that to different publishing companies, and over and over again, it was, no, your platform's not big enough. Nobody knows who you are. The writing game has changed. You have to be significant before a book comes out. Um, this isn't a wide enough topic to reach a broad enough audience. Try self-publishing. No, 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 no. I felt like I had exhausted all of my options, and I was left feeling discouraged. I believe there's people in here this morning that you'd say, you're exhausted. Maybe you're like David. Maybe you're just tired. Maybe you're tired of running from your past. Maybe you're, you're just tired in general. I think just a physical exhaustion David was dealing with that. Uh, He had exhausted all of his faith, all of his patience, all of his financial resources. This this morning, as I was praying and thinking about this message, I believe there's people that have said those words this week. I'm just so exhausted. I'm just so exhausted. When you hear those words, it should be a red flag in your spirit. Your spirit's telling you something. And here's what your spirit is telling you. Rest. You need to rest. And I'm not talking about taking a nap because I don't think that this whole David going to live among the Philistine things would have been solved with a great nap. I'm not talking about vacation. I'm not talking about watching Netflix. It's not like if you go on a great vacation and things aren't already, uh, and things are bad when you go, when you get back, they're going to be there waiting for you. You're going to step right back into the exhaustion. That's not the kind of rest I'm talking about. I'm talking about a God kind of rest. The rest that we hear about in Hebrews chapter 4. God offered this rest to the children of Israel, but they did not enter it. Instead, they wandered the wilderness for 40 years. 
And if that is not exhausting, I don't know what is. So let's look at this verse and see why they didn't enter that rest. I want you to really focus and look at every word in this verse because it's so power-packed. Hebrews 4, 1 through 3. Now God has offered us, me and all of you, he's offered us the same promise of entering into his realm of resting in confident faith. So we must be extremely careful to ensure that we embrace the fullness of that promise and not fail to experience it. For we've heard the good news of deliverance, just as the Israelites did, yet they didn't join their faith with the word. Instead, what they heard didn't affect them deeply, for they doubted. For those of us who believe faith activates the promise and we experience the realm of confident rest. Listen, if you're feeling exhausted this morning, it's because you're failing. Now, I know it's no fun to hear that you're failing, but this says that they failed to experience the rest of God. If you are not experiencing rest, if you are feeling exhausted, here's a wake-up call for you this morning. You are failing to enter into something that God has for you. Sometimes we need somebody to come along and say, hey, you're not doing this right. You're not getting this right. You're failing. We need somebody to, to break open a pack of smelling salts and say, hey, wake up, sister. You are wandering in the wilderness. And Jesus came far, far too far and paid way too great a price for us to live out wandering in the wilderness. He paid for you to experience this rest. They heard the good news, but they didn't join it with their faith in the word. Instead, what they heard didn't affect them, for they deeply doubted. So the Israelites heard the good news of the rest, but they failed to enter it because they weren't hearing, taking what they heard and mixing it with their faith. They weren't joining it with their faith. They were going to church. They were taking notes. They were, they were retweeting Stephen Furtick. They had they had a 14-day streak on version. They'd been in the Word for 14 days in a row. You're on a 14-day streak, but none of it mattered because they were not taking what they heard and mixing it with their faith. They were not joining it with their faith. I need to ask you a serious question this morning. Do you really believe? Do you believe in your heart of hearts that the Word of God is true? Do you trust what God's word says? If you do, then you need to start living like you do. That's how you mix faith with the word. You start living like you believe it. If you're exhausted today, it's because somewhere along the line, you stopped trusting in the promises of God. I know you don't normally go to a conference and expect people to tell you that you're failing. And you sure don't go to a conference and expect people to tell you to be afraid. But here it comes. Write this down. Fear unbelief. Fear unbelief. We should be very, very afraid of hearing the promises of God and not believing them. Because if we're hearing God's word and we're not mixing it with faith, living like we believe it, then we're going to end up wandering aimlessly through the wilderness. If you find yourself exhausting your resources, maybe you're in here this morning, I've exhausted my time, my energy, my health. 
my finances, the people. There is one thing that you cannot exhaust, and that is the promises of God. If you're going to try to exhaust anything, make it God's word. If you find yourself exhausting the people in your life, trying to get approval, going from this person to that person, it's because somewhere along the line, you either have never heard a verse like this, or you've heard it and you don't believe it. 1 John 3, 1. Look with wonder at the depth of the Father's marvelous love that he has lavished on us. He has called us and made us his very own beloved children. If you're looking to all these people for love and trying to get them to fill you up, it's because you're not mixing this verse with your faith. You don't truly believe in the heart of hearts that the Father has lavished his love on you. If he's lavished his love on you, then you don't need to drain all of these different people and exhaust all the people in your life for love. Like Angie said, he gives it freely to you. This summer when I had, uh, in the middle of exhausting all my options with the book, um, I was actually with some of the girls here on the His Leadership Team. And we went to a little retreat, and I was talking about how I knew that God was letting me know. I, ne- I was trying to control everything. And one of my friends, she gave me this verse, Proverbs 16, 9. We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. And I was like, I know that verse. <laughs> like, it's been highlighted in my Bible for the last 20 years of my life. Like, I know that verse. But something happened in me that day. I realized that I knew that verse but I wasn't living that verse. I wasn't mixing it with my faith. I was trying to determine my steps. And so I decided that I was going to put the whole thing in God's hand. I'm gonna put this book thing in your hands. I've exhausted all of my my options. I'm gonna let you determine my steps. I stopped writing. I stopped pursuing. Now, I want you to know I did not give up. I just entered into a place of rest. I wasn't giving up. I was just saying, I'm giving it to God. I'm going to enter into a place of rest. And seven days after my friend shared that verse with me and I made a decision, I'm giving you control. Somebody reached out to me on Facebook, an acquisitions editor from a Christian publishing company, and they said, hey, somebody sent us something that you wrote, and we want to know if you were ever interested in writing a book. I had been pursuing and exhausting all of these options. And as soon as I put it in God's hand and said, I'm just going to rest, he was right there. And this time next year, my first book will be released. Listen, don't be afraid to rest. Be afraid of not trusting his promises enough to actually live them out. Number two, the second root of exhaustion is expired timelines. Expired timelines are the root of discouragement. The second root of discouragement, expired timelines. Everyone in here is waiting on something. And either knowingly or unknowingly, you have established a timeline of when you think what you're waiting for should arrive. David was dealing with an expired timeline when he headed over to live among the enemy. He was waiting to be crowned king. I'm sure in his mind, that would have already happened by now. God would remove this lunatic and make him king. But David, he was anointed somewhere between the ages of 10 and 13, and he ended up waiting around 20 years until he was was crowned king over all of Israel. You know that wasn't the timeline that he predicted. 
He was thinking, my timeline has expired. God's plan for me has expired. And he was so discouraged, he went to live among the enemies. Are you discouraged today because you feel like your timeline has expired? I should be pregnant by now. I should be married by now. My husband should be saved by now. My prayer should have been answered by now. I should have been promoted by now. We should be engaged by now. I should have, I should have lost the weight by now. I should have my crap together by now. My kids should have their crap together by now. Listen, don't give up. Your crown is coming. He's using this waiting season to season you. Your plans, God's plans for you do not expire. We got to surrender our timelines to him. I know we live in a day and age where we are not used to having to wait. Amazon Prime two-day shipping is the greatest thing ever. But we expect God to work that way. Here's my prayer. Here's my need. I need it. Two-day free shipping. I want to see it on my doorstep. But that's not how he works. He uses waiting seasons to season us. I love what David, our friend David, what he wrote about Joseph in Psalm 105. Psalm 105, 19 says, until the time came to fulfill his dreams, the Lord tested Joseph's character. The passage translation says it like this. God's promise to Joseph purged his character until it was time for his dreams to come true. For 22 years, God purged Joseph's character. He was preparing him for what he was going to step into as the second highest in command in all of Egypt. There were some things about Joseph's character, some flaws that God needed to have worked out. So for those 22 years, he was seasoning Joseph, testing him, purging his character. The same for David. David, the things that he learned in the seasons, in the chapter like the one he's in, we're talking about right now, that prepared him to be king. He was purging his character. I know that you're tired of waiting. I know you're tired of waiting. But I also know that God has your best interest in mind. He's got your best interest in mind. Just trust him. Surrender your timeline to him. There are no expired timelines with God's plan. Number three, the second or the third root of discouragement is exalted emotions. So we have exhausted resources, expired timelines, and exhausted emotions. I want to look back at 1 Samuel when this discouragement took over in David's life. And David said in his heart, now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me than I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines. What kind of things are you saying in your heart? What kind of conversations are you having with yourself? There's nothing better for me than this guy who treats me like a doormat. There's nothing better for me than being lonely. There's nothing better for me than to live sick and tired and spent. There's nothing better for me than this depression, than my addiction, than this dead-end job, than these friends who are going, are going nowhere. There's nothing better for me than living paycheck to paycheck. What are you saying in your heart? There's nothing better for me than where have you settled? Where is discouragement causing you to settle? David was feeling when he said this. He was feeling defeated. 
he was feeling discouraged. He was feeling depressed. And I'm not talking about a chemical depression, but a depression brought on about brought about by his circumstances. He was feeling down and blue. And these emotions, these feelings led him to thinking, there's nothing better for me. He exalted his emotions. He lifted his emotions high. He started agreeing with his emotions instead of agreeing with what God had said about him and the plans for his life. I want you to know that experiencing emotion is normal. It's a part of who we are. It's how God made us. We are not robots. We're supposed to feel. But when we begin to get more concerned with what's the Holy Spirit saying to me rather than uh, how, when we, when we get more concerned with uh, how this makes me feel instead of what is the Holy Spirit saying to me, we exalt our emotions above God's word. We can't be a, we can't be a people who are all about how does this make me feel, but what is the Holy Spirit saying to me? We've got to exalt God's word over our emotions. Listen, feelings change. You know, you're women. We get it. Feelings are like this, but God's word does not change. God's word says, build your life on a firm foundation. Your feelings are sinking sand. This is something that we're trying to teach our, our kids. My son, Gus, uh, he came home the other day. We were driving home from school, and he was mad and fiery and angry about a grumpy lunchroom monitor. And uh, mom, you just don't get it. She, this lady, she doesn't smile. I don't even know why she's a teacher. Why would you be a teacher if you don't like kids? She, she won't let us talk at lunch. Like we, we need to be able to talk at lunch. She makes the whole class run laps at recess. Even the, the ones who haven't misbehaved at lunch. I mean, he's going on and on and on and he's mad, and you can, you can see these feelings, these emotions rising up, and I listen to him. I hear him out. I sympathize with him. I tell him about a mean bus driver, a grumpy bus driver that I used to have, but then we get to the point where it's like, okay, I know this is how you feel, but what does God's word say? God's word says that we are to put on kindness and compassion and humility and patience, so what do you think that looks like? What do you think we should do? I know you want to talk bad about her with all your friends at recess. I know you want to gang up on her and make her the mean teacher. I know you feel like doing that, but God's word says we don't live by how we feel. We put on compassion even when we don't feel like it. So let's pray for her. Let's pray for her by name right now. and Let's pray for her on the way to school. We don't know what she's dealing with. We don't know the things that are going on at home that would make her seem like that. So let's not, let's not live by how we feel. Now, it's a little lesson. But if we don't teach our kids these little lessons, and if we don't start living this out, what happens when our kids don't feel like staying married? What happens when they don't feel like getting up and going to church? What happens when they don't feel like God is fair? I don't think that AJ really felt like washing her husband's feet after he just committed that he'd been, admitted that he'd been unfaithful to her. But she wasn't moved by how she felt she decided to do things God's way. God's way. Listen, you get to decide who's on the throne being exalted. Is it your, emo your emotions or is it God's promises? And then lastly, the last, the last root of discouragement is extracted memories. Extracted memories. I think one of the enemy's most effective strategies to get us discouraged is memory loss. He likes to come and steal and kill 
destroy memories of God's past faithfulness. He likes to get us so consumed with what's going on right now that we forget about how he's moved in the past. What if David, instead of thinking about his situation, what if he started reminding himself, I remember when I took down that giant because God was with me. I remember when God saw me in that field when nobody else saw me. I believe he's, he sees me right now. I believe he's going to do it again. He forgot. He forgot God's past faithfulness. Psalms 103.2. This is one of David's most well-known psalms, and it was written after his time among the Philistines. It says this in verse 2. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I Never forget the good things he does for me. I've forgotten before. He says, may I never forget the good things that he does for me. We have a coat closet at our house. And the top shelf of that coat closet is filled with old notebooks. And they all look different and they all represent different seasons of my life. There's an orange one with bright red flowers. There's a little blue one with a puppy dog drawing on it. There's a brown one that says notes and typewriter font. And if I'm ever feeling discouraged, all I have to do is go pull out one of those journals and read through it. Because although they're different, and although they represent different seasons of my life, the theme is the same throughout everyone. God is faithful. He was faithful to me when I found out my husband was addicted to pornography. He was faithful to me when I had to deliver a baby stillborn at 20 weeks. He was faithful to me when friends betrayed me. He's faithful to me when we left a great church to plant New Song. He was faithful to me when I miscarried two years ago, today actually, over and over. I have seen his hand. May I never forget. May we never forget the enemy's going to come and try to extract those memories, but you don't let him. You remember, you remind yourself daily of God's faithfulness. Now, when we stopped reading David's discouragement chapter, he was about to line up and fight against God's people. That's how far he had drifted from God's beautiful story. But as he's lined up, a Philistine captain sees him and he's like, hold on. That's David, like God's David, God, the one that the song is about. He can't fight with us. What if he turns on us in battle? David begs, no, 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 let us fight with you. We want to fight. They're fighters. They didn't want to get benched for this fight, but that's what happened. He was like, nah, sorry, you're not going with us. Go home. He benched them. They had a three-day journey home. Look Look at what they find when they arrive home. 1 Samuel 30, three days later, When David and his men arrived at their town of Ziklag, they found the Amalekites had made a raid into the Negev and Ziklag. They had crushed Ziklag and burned it to the ground. They'd carried off the women and children and everyone else, but without killing anyone. When David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. Get that visual in your head. These men who are tired, who are on the wrong side of the tracks. They're on the enemy side. They get turned down for war. They come and their village has been burned to the ground. Everyone that they love is missing. It says these grown men, 600 grown men, wept until they could weep no more. They were completely discouraged. David's two wives were among those captured. David was now in great danger. 
because all his men, those men that had been joined up with him over the last year, they were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters, and they began to talk of stoning him. So David's there. He's grieving his missing family and his burned village, and he looks up, and his friends are have rocks in their hand, big stones, and they're talking about how they could kill David. David was at rock bottom. This is as discouraging as it gets. The enemy wouldn't let him fight. His village has been burned. His wives, sons, and daughters, they're all missing. The people who should be comforting him are now discussing how they're going to kill him. What would you do if you were in that discouraging of a situation? What would you do if you feel like you had quite possibly ruined your beautiful story? Look what David did. 1 Samuel 36. But, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. David was completely broken here. He had nowhere to run. He had nothing worth running for. It looks like he's done for. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. He came out of it. He snapped out of it. He came to his senses. He decided that discouragement was not going to be the author of his story. He gave the pen back to God. He strengthened himself, not in himself, but he strengthened himself in the Lord his God. This morning, if you came in here feeling discouraged, it's time for you to strengthen yourself. Now, you may be thinking, well, I have been strengthening myself, and it's not working. I've been telling myself that I'm smart enough, and that I'm strong enough, and that I'm spiritual enough. I'm mom enough. I'm enough. I've been strengthening myself, and it's not working. But that's not what David did. He didn't strengthen himself in himself. He strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Strengthening yourself in the Lord is the complete opposite of strengthening yourself in yourself. The hashtag enough has been used over one million times on Instagram. And it's a word that's very popular among Christian women. We, we buy shirts with it written across, enough. We have conferences themed around it. We are enough. We, we buy books that are written to try to convince us that we are, in a word, enough. But the truth is, as well-meaning as all of those people are, we are not enough. Listen to me. I am not enough, and you are not enough. And when you realize that, you'll walk in more freedom. I know that enough sounds like gospel. It sounds like it. It sounds like Jesus that he would say that, but it's not. Enough is a J-Lo movie, and it's, it's, it's a new self-love trend, but it's not gospel. Every time I hear someone telling women they're enough, I cringe a little bit because I know that when we start to believe that we're enough, it puts us at a disadvantage. When we believe that we're enough, we're going to start leaning on our own understanding instead of trusting in him. When we believe that we're enough, we're going to stop looking to him for answers. We're going to stop reaching out to the people around us because somebody who's enough shouldn't need to depend on other people. When we believe we're enough, it puts us at a disadvantage. Paul Paul was not preaching that we're enough. Paul was preaching the opposite. 2 Corinthians 3, 5. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. Listen, if Paul 
was not sufficient in himself. Who are we to indulge in this idea of self-sufficiency? This is what we should indulge in. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in enoughness. No, it's made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. If you are discouraged and you want the power of Christ to come and rest upon you, you need to begin to boast not in the fact that you're enough, that you're smart enough, fit enough, funny enough. Quit exhausting yourself. Quit putting yourself through unnecessary heartbreak when somebody comes along who's more enough than you are because they will. Quit putting yourself through that and start boasting in your weakness because it's there. It's there in our weakness where God can showcase his glory. When we actually believe that we're enough without God, it forces us to draw to him, draw closer to him. And the word promises that when we draw close to God, that he draws close to us. Depend on him, lean in to him, David strengthened himself in the Lord. Now look what he did next. 1 Samuel 38, then David asked the Lord. That right there shows you he's, he's done doing this his own way. He stopped. It's like he came to his senses. Okay, I am not enough. I am not smart enough. I'm not warrior enough. I don't know what to do. I'm not strategic enough. He turned to the Lord. Should I chase after the band of raiders? Will I catch them? And I love what the Lord did next. Lord wasn't like, all right, David, let's talk about the last year and four months of your life. What did you do? Why did you ruin the story? Why did you, why did you do that? That's not what the Lord did. It says, the Lord told him, didn't skip a beat. Yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. Listen, the Lord is an ever-present help in time of need. When you get to that place and you decide to strengthen yourself in him, He is right there with you, an ever-present help in time of need. He wants to lead you to victory. This is how the story ends. It says, David got back everything the Amalekites had taken, and he rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, small or great. Nothing was missing. Son or daughter, nor anything else that had been taken, David brought back everything. Not because he was enough, but because his God was enough. Not because he was great, but because the greater one was living in him. Listen, what's the enemy stolen from you this morning? God wants to help you recover your joy. He wants to help you recover that passion that the enemy tried to kidnap, that the enemy tried to pillage and take from you. He wants to help you recover your purpose your energy, your trust in him, your courage, your health, nothing missing, small or great. He wants to help you recover it. If you would bow your head and close your eyes this morning. I wanna give you an opportunity to strengthen yourself in the Lord. Now, the only way that this is gonna work is if we really connect our heart with the words we're about to say. Hey, don't just go through the motion here. Don't just say these words because everyone else is saying them. It won't take when you do it like that. So before we strengthen ourselves, I want to take a moment. I want you to get really quiet 
I want you to get still. No moving around. No shuffling your stuff. Put away your phones. Get still. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to show you two things. He knows what he wants to show you. I want you to expect to hear his voice, which is going to sound a lot like your own thoughts. Maybe you expect to see a word or a picture. He wants to talk to you this morning. He wants to meet you right where you're at. He's a personal God. He wants to make this message personal to you. So I want you to ask him this. What areas of my life have I let discouragement creep in? Now ask him to show you where you've been strengthening yourself and your own ability and your own enoughness and where you need to strengthen yourself in him and admit that you are, in fact, not enough. Now I want you to pray this with me out loud. Repeat these words after me. Say, Father, I declare today that I am not enough. I commit from this moment forward to stop trying so hard to be smart enough, pretty enough, mom enough, fit enough, strong enough. You are enough. I rest in that. I strengthen myself in you. I don't wait for someone else to strengthen me. I lean on you. I look to you. I listen to you. My life revolves around you. I am dependent on your strength. I rejoice in my weaknesses. I rest in your promises. I surrender my timeline. I exalt your word over my feelings. I will not forget the good things you have done for me. I will recover everything the enemy has tried to steal from me. I strengthen myself in you today, tomorrow, and every day after that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.